Welcome, everyone, to the first episode of the Spoonful of Sugar podcast, which is brought to you in partnership with Farmerica. In each episode, we'll do our best to help keep you better informed about the leading issues and challenges shaping skilled nursing today. Our hope is that you'll gain strategies that can help you improve care, better manage your business, and improve the bottom line. While some of the topics are no joking matter, we also want to have a laugh or two along the way. The title of today's episode is Empty Bed Syndrome, The Impact of Staffing Shortages. I'm John O'Connor from McKnight's, and I'll be co-hosting with TJ Griffin, RPH, Senior Vice President of Long-Term Care Operations and Chief Pharmacy Officer for Farmerica. Also joining us today will be our special guest, Sherry Dornberger, Nadana's Executive Director. Now, before we get started, let's hear from our co-host. TJ, this is going to be fun. Can you tell the audience a bit about yourself, how you became interested in this field, and what you've been doing for, oh, the last three decades or so? <laughs> John, it's so exciting to be here with you today. I think this is going to be great. Uh, a spoonful of sugar, you know, like the lyrics say, in every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. And while, like you said, a lot of these topics are going to be no joking matter, uh, you know, we want to try to present uh, all of the uh, information in a, in a way that's uh, useful, helpful, and, uh, you know, part of, uh, you know, the regular lingo and not, uh, not scripted at all. But uh, so excited to be with you. I'm, I'm a pharmacist. I usually call myself a, a humble pharmacist from the Midwest. Uh, I graduated University of Iowa a long time ago in, a, in the 80s era with, with uh, you know, big hair and um, my members only jacket and uh, been, uh, been a pharmacist for 30 plus years and been at Pharmerica now 19 years in long-term care. Uh, I, I love long-term care. I'm devoted to it and so happy to be part of this episode and, and, and chat a little bit about it with uh, some of the great leaders in the industry. Uh, like Sherry that we have today. So really excited. Look forward to uh, these podcasts and uh, let's get going. Hey, that sounds great. Thank, thanks so much, TJ. So let's go ahead and set the table here. Now, when admissions from hospitals in the community plummeted during COVID, occupancy crashed, as most listeners know. Despite some gains in 2021, occupancy stood at 75% in September and considerably worse in many facilities. A return to pre-pandemic rates is still far off, but the virus is no longer the only culprit. Projected financial losses are leading to staff cuts in settings already plagued by vaccine mandates and retention challenges. And fewer workers means fewer beds. That's because the loss of direct care workers reduces the number of residents a facility can safely admit without having quality levels suffer. In fact, nearly 60% of nursing homes are limiting new admissions due to shortages. So let's explore how skilled nursing facilities can leverage their partners and vendors to offset these challenges with innovative solutions that can drive better care and outcomes. So joining us now is Sherry Dornberger, who probably doesn't need any introduction and certainly brings a unique perspective. Hi, Sherry. Uh, we're welcome. We're thrilled you can join us today. And would you like to tell us a little bit about your background and your current role with Nadana? Sure, John. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be with two of the leaders of this country also. So right now, I'm currently the executive director of NADANA, the National Association of Directors of Nursing Administration. I've been in this role for about 13, 14 years. I was president before that. I've been in long-term care since, I hate to say it, but 1975. 
I started as a nurse's aide in nursing school and worked my way up through the ranks, being a director of nursing and ADON, a nurse consultant, uh, you know, a, a nurse VP, whatever those roles were. And then actually about 20 years ago, I was injured by a, an accident in an operating room and I could no longer work as a DON. So I moved into the role when our executive director retired as the ED of Nadana. So I get to talk to directors of nursing from around the country every day. We mentor them, guide them, lead them, support them, whatever they need in this role. And I absolutely love it. I didn't think I would ever love anything more than being a DON, except now I get to talk to, you know, residents and families from all around the country. Before, I was really upset when I left my role as just a DON of a 286-bed facility, thinking I could no longer help residents. But now I get to help them all over the country. So it's a really rewarding job. Well, that's that's great to hear, uh, Sherry. And um, you know, if, if if we could just go ahead and, and jump jump right in. Obviously, COVID is is changing the game. And what what kind of feedback are, are you getting from from the nurses that you deal with as far as uh, the impact on on nurses in particular? Um, it's devastating. Nurses right now. A year ago, nurses were looked at as heroes. They were they had cowbells ringing for them when they left work. They had people standing out and applauding for them. And now what's happened with the shortage, a lot of nurses are burned out from taking care of COVID residents. So they've left the profession, actually. A lot of them are now realtors or working for the local Hallmark store because there's no stress there. They've left and it's left major holes in the ability to staff facilities. And it's, you know, I, I can't stress enough that they really need a, a pick-me-up of some sorts, I guess you could say. Sure, sure. Um, you know, because of the stress. I mean, just figure if you went into work every day with mask, gown, glove, shield, shoe covers, head covers, and had to take care of, you know, people dressed like that, 12 hours a day, just the stress from that and the way they have to go to work is, is plummeting. Mm -hmm. But right now, um, the other, the other thing that's adding to the shortage is we used to be able to recruit nurses from the Philippines, from Ireland and all into the country to help us with our own shortage. But with the borders being closed because of COVID, we can no longer recruit those nurses. So it's also mm -hmm. causing a shortage in those areas. One other problem that I can see is that the aging of America's RNs, the average RN right now is 53 years old. The average age of the nursing instructor is 68. Last year in the United States, we turned away 80,000 nursing school applicants in this country. 80,000. Just think of that. That could help us immensely. But we don't have enough nursing instructors to teach them. We don't have enough clinical facilities for them to get their experience in. So it's a snowball effect. We really have to 
rethink our, our education system for nurses and the way we're going about it. Because right now we can't handle what we need and we need to get people through school to help us out a little. Boy, those are some some sobering things that you've just said, and and more than a little scary. You know, we we, we hear the phrase "a perfect storm." It's almost like an imperfect storm. It's just a lot of really bad things that that seem to really be um, landing hard on the heads of, of of many caregivers these days. You know, and, and, and TJ, I mean, obviously you're you're seeing this as well. And, and what what are what are some of the things you've noticed? Yeah. So, well, first first of all, Sherry, I I, I love your passion. And just know that all your vendors and uh, this, uh, you know, we're all here to support you in any way that we absolutely can, um, whether it's from a government relations position to help with uh, uh, the educational system and, and working through that way, or helping to get DONs off the med cart. I think one of the things that we've noticed from a pharmacy perspective uh, is the shortage has resulted in instead of directors of nursing who, who are still heroes, being able to direct nursing, they are pushing a med cart. And so, you know, one of the areas that, that I think we can come together and work together on is how do we get more efficient in, in med pass? You know, uh, how can we make uh, life easier for the nurses and the, and, and, uh, in a facility to make med pass easier? And I think we're, go we're gonna try to devote a whole podcast to that later on, uh, uh, all the different, uh, um, ideas that we may be able to ferret out to help help relieve some of the mundane tasks uh, in facilities so that uh, we can get our nurses focused back on, on care. But have you noticed this too, Sherry, DONs pushing carts? Absolutely. Yes, I have. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, I know many of you have heard that we lost our president in September. She died of a heart attack. Yes. And you know, I have to say that, you know, truly in my heart, I believe that she worked like 19, 16 hour days pushing the med cart, trying to make sure her, you know, her facility was covered and that those meds got given out. And, you know, I truly believe in my heart that it had something to do with that. You know, absolutely. We would love help with, you know, getting nurses off the med pass. The other thing that we could use help with is right now we are being gouged by agencies for the amount of money they're charging us to get a nurse. Our nurses mm -hmm. are leaving in droves to go to agency and travel nurses where they can make $125 to $250 an hour working for these companies. And, you know, there's no way with our reimbursement rates that we can pay nurses 125 or 100 and you know 200 dollars an hour to do that. I mean just think last week I saw a sign for the waffle house and at night they are paying their servers 28 dollars an hour to work the night shift. We pay nurses aides 15 dollars an hour to work the night shift. Why would they work you know, like they say, flipping a grandmother when they could flip an egg and make 13 more dollars an hour. So in Pennsylvania, there's actually a bill that was just put in about that. 
about stopping the gouging of agencies against long-term care facilities. And we need that to happen more often. We need that, you know, across the country because we're not going to be able to survive at all. I mean, it's going to cause, you know, major havoc, the death of long-term care. If we have no staff, if you have no staff, you can accept no residents. If you have no residents, you know, the facility will close. So it's a, it is a huge snowball. I know we're in the winter, but you know, it's a snowball is occurring um, right now. So we, we really need to look at the whole process. And, and, and John, you know, that snowball, you know, it backs up into the hospital. When, uh, you know, the hospitals are full, they're undergoing the same nursing crisis as nursing homes. And when nursing homes can't admit patients, that fills, that fills up the hospital and backs up the hospital, which then just makes them need to go out and, and, and snowball these agencies. And, you know, a big hospital system might be able to yeah. absorb $200 an hour for a nurse. Uh, and so it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a vicious circle that we've just got to get jump in and get our hands on, on quickly, you know, because the, the hospitals want us to take uh, uh, patients again. And you have to have staff in order to do it safely. Um, I, I so, think some of those facilities that are being a little more successful right now, you know, may have a COVID unit. If they're a mm-hmm. big enough facility, they can set up a COVID unit, pay the staff that go into the COVID unit a little more than the staff that doesn't go into the COVID unit. So it takes the mm-hmm. pressure off of all of the staff to have to go in there. The other thing that people are doing is, two, four, six, eight hour shifts. I mean, okay, you can't give me eight hours, but you can give me two hours. I'll take those two hours. I'll pay you a little bit more, but it still gives me RN coverage in that building. So you have to start thinking out of the box too. The old, you know, eight, 12 hour shifts aren't cutting it anymore because people want to be with their families, especially after being stuck home with COVID, the kids are home. The kids are home from school. Nobody's there watching them. You know, you need a little more flexibility now in your job. So you can't be rigid. We have to be flexible in this day and age and look out of the box. I also think that facilities need to recruit nursing students. They need to open up their facilities as clinical sites, bring those nursing students in, let them see that long-term care is really, really a great place to work. Nurses mm-hmm. in long-term care need better assessment skills than nurses in hospitals because we are the eyes and ears of those physicians. Of course, telehealth is helping. Yes, it is. But we still need to know, oh my goodness, that resident looks like they're becoming septic. I better hook them up to telehealth. Let the physician see this and we'll go from there. The nurse needs to recognize that. So Mm -hmm. nurses, you know, sometimes in long-term care are looked at as a second-class citizen. And they're really not. They're the ones with the keen assessment skills that are really in tune with elderly residents. When you do an assessment of an elderly resident, it's certainly different than assessment of a 30-year-old. So they need to be astute with that also. So, you know, I I think that, you know, there are ways that we can make it, but we have to look out of the box. John, I think instead of having that little picket machine that you have with medications, I think we could Mm -hmm. get rich 
turning that into a vending machine for facilities. <laughs> and in that vending machine, we could put like a salt lick of Valium when the nurses get a little nut or the family members get a little nut. We could have stethoscopes in there. We could have pens in there because, you know, there are two types of nurses, one that go to work with one pen and come home with 20 or one that go to work with 20 pens and come home with one. So we could have stethoscopes in there, a little Red Bull, you know, a little strong coffee. I mean, and we can make it free. We'll just make it free. But that would keep free. nurses. I think that would, you know, if we had that free vending machine, we could recruit all kinds of nurses. <laughs> what, what you're saying, Sherry, is we need a more plentiful spoons full of sugar. That's yes, what you're we do. About. Absolutely. Oh, oh. <laughs> That's well, what we well could we could turn we could turn that uh, you know a spoonful of sugar. That could be that vending machine's name. You know. <laughs> Well, you know, well, one speaking of, the, of a, go ahead, I was just going to say real quick, Sherry, you know, you talk about a vending machine. Uh, I'm doing a trip next month to uh, Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, where we're going to be talking with them about how, you know, it's the number one uh, robotic uh, school of learning in the world. And so we're going to be going out to them and we're going to take them to a facility and we're, you know, what can we do from a vending machine perspective? How could we upgrade medicine, you know, medication carts that haven't been upgraded in 50 years to make them more efficient? What can we do? I know it sounds like a robot. We're not talking about Rosie the Riveter or Rosie the Robot from the Jetsons doing MedPass, but what can we do from the med cart? What can we do from a nursing station? What can we do in the med room from a robotic perspective? I don't know, but we've engaged Carnegie Mellon to try to think about it and, and talk about it some more. So we're kind of excited about that. So it, it's, you know, we talk about a vending machine, but yet in reality, there's a lot of electronic solutions that really have probably never even been thought of. And we're going to try to be on the cutting edge of that. So we're excited about that trip. Just make it out of titanium because I hear nurses can bend anything. They're better than Superman, you know? There's no, <laughs> no doubt about it. <laughs> No doubt about that. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, Sherry, you, you brought up some, some great points about some of the things facilities can do. And, and we have a lot of administrators and owners and, and people in the C-suite who will be listening to this. You know, what, what else should, um, should facilities be doing for, for nurses, kidding aside, to, to, to make, make this difficult job maybe, maybe not so difficult or, or at least kind of ease some of the pain? John, that's a great question. I think administrators expect, expect a lot from their DON. They expect them to run the ship, to hire, to fire, to be on that med cart, to do infection prevention, um, you know, staff development, and on and on. They're putting too much pressure on their DONs. DONs need someone else to assist them. Don't expect your DON to also be your infection preventionist. Don't expect your DON to be your staff development nurse and do not require your DON to work that med cart. Not if you want a five-star facility. Five-star facilities are based on a team concept. That DON needs more support than just an administrator who may or may not just stay in their office. They actually need to be a well-oiled working machine. I worked with my administrator for 28 years. He was my uh, 
my husband at work, you could say. We were a well-oiled machine. We ran a five-star facility and I had the team under me to work. I hired people that I knew that could do the job to give me support. And you know what? I worked that cart once in a blue moon, not every day, not every week. And unfortunately, you know, I know there's a shortage, but again, if you work, if you think out of the box, there are facilities in this country right now, and I've talked to them that are thriving and they thrive because they have a good team. You just can't put all of the pressure on one person. It doesn't work. And that's why they're leaving. Great, great, great points. And believe it or not, we're already nearing the end of, of our time. This has been just incredibly quick. Uh, TJ, any, any final thoughts before we uh, wrap things up? Uh, just uh, thank you again, Sherry. And I just want to speak directly to all the DONs and administrators out there. Thank you for all the hard work and dedication you've put in the last two years. And, you know, all of us are here to help and let's, let's all let's all put our heads together as an industry and uh, we can make this, make this uh, a better, better place for all of us to work again. So uh, you're all heroes and just keep up the good work. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, this concludes our first episode of Spoonful of Sugar. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and we'll pass the word. We also hope you can join us next time for episode two, Bringing Health Home, the Transitional Care Management Model. In our next podcast, we'll explore the influencers who support this transitional care model and how facilities can take steps to capitalize on the growth of care at home to impact their census, financial penalties, and outcomes. Sherry, you've been extremely helpful. We want to thank you so much for joining us today. TJ, thanks so much. Finally, a special thanks to For America, whose generous support made this presentation possible. To learn more about ways For America can deliver world-class pharmacy services to your organization, please visit them online at www.farmerica.com. Along with TJ Griffin, this is John O'Connor wishing you health and happiness. See you next time.